show features Tyler Fornis and Deshaun Vaughn as they talk your Minnesota Vikings with you, the fans. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Climbing the Pocket Mondays. I am your co-host, Tyler Fornis. With me, as always, on Monday, we welcome back Deshaun after a one-week hiatus and the trusty producer, Dave. Gentlemen, obviously, we know the Vikings had a little bit of a letdown yesterday, but we're here to talk some purple. How are we doing today? It sucks, man. I missed the one positive show. (laughs) I hate this team. (laughs) There are positives we can draw from this game, but as always, we're just going to be 100% honest and unfiltered. So let's kind of start talking about it. You know, the Vikings lost 14 to 7. They had numerous opportunities to take control of the game because Baker Mayfield was the extra bad version of himself on Sunday. But the Vikings were just unable to take advantage for uh, numerous amounts of reasons. And we're going to kind of break that down today. We're also going to give our players of the week. And we're going to talk about the... uh, the NFL draft itself because it's it's coming up and the way things are going we might need to be talking about it sooner rather than later but we don't want to get too negative um we're not starting mock draft Mondays yet (laughs) no uh but it it is something to at least keep in the back of your head even with a successful season because you're that is where you can either continue to build your team or continue to have a great team so just hold on just so everybody knows and not everybody does know. Climbing the Pocket, especially those that are new to Climbing the Pocket, features more than one, actually more than two people that help make a living or help themselves making a living by scouting um, college players. Two of them you're seeing right next to me in Tyler and Deshaun. Hey, now, I do do that sometimes as well. Yeah. So <laughs> once we roll into that mode where we're looking at prospects, these guys mm-hmm. will be kicking it for Mock Draft Mondays, and everybody will have a chance to weigh in who's the next draft pick for Minnesota and who's making that pick. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I just want to give a shout out to uh, my guy Ian in the comments, one of the uh, best up and coming draft analysts out there. So when uh, things kind of get closer to draft season, uh, we'll be we'll probably be, end up talking with Ian quite a bit. He is a great guy. Make sure you go uh, check him out on on the Twitter machine. Deshaun, let's talk about this Vikings team. So there are a couple different routes that we can kind of go about starting. Let's talk about some of the positives. All right. Uh, I know. I know. I know. know. It kind of hurts a little bit. There aren't a ton of positives out there right away, but let's talk about it. You know, what were the, what were a couple of the biggest positive keys um, that you saw on Sunday? Uh, I do have a few. Uh, Clint Kubiak, his scripted plays, fantastic. They're great. Mm -hmm. Everything else sucked, but his scripted plays were really good. They were really good. Um, Kirk Cousins at first drive, great. That's all I got for him. Everson Griffin, uh, almost 34 years old, was out there killing it. 
He was fantastic. He was better than all our other ends. Uh, Dalvin mm-hmm. Thomason had a really good game. Nice to see our free agent, free agent acquisition step step up. Unfortunately, Michael Pierce was having a good game too, but he hurt his elbow again, yeah. so he ended up having to go out. And then Cam Dantzler, even though Baker Mayfield helped him out twice, uh, Cam Dantzler had a pretty solid game stepping in for mm-hmm. Bashar Berlin too. And Justin Jefferson, uh, he caught passes of 20-plus on every starting corner for the Browns, which is pretty impressive. So he also had a solid game. Justin Jefferson is good. He's very good. Hey, breaking news, everybody. Justin Jefferson is good at football. I know it's it's hard to believe, but he is very good. Um, no, I'm, I'm with you 100%, Deshaun. That first Vikings drive uh, for Clint Kubiak was fantastic. And I thought the same thing. I thought he was even better last week against Seattle. That drive, opening drive, was phenomenal. Yeah, they were utilizing play action. They were utilizing motion. Uh, and they were doing some really creative things, getting Kirk in posi- positions to be successful. And I think to a lesser degree, they did that uh, on Sunday against Cleveland. But I just think because of the defense they were playing, they were a little bit more conservative, which is understandable because Cleveland has a top 10 defense in the National Football League with a top five player in the NFL with Miles Garrett. And Jadavian Clowney on the outside, he's not a sack master, but he wreaks havoc consistently. So the fact that they were utilizing some of that stuff was awesome to see. But it felt like as the game went on, there were no adjustments. The offensive line allowed, what was it, 22 pressures per PFF? Where was the the help for Rashad Hill? Where was the help for Brian O'Neill? You had Miles Garrett, who at one point beat three guys. Like and it, it just felt like they were just standing there. They weren't, they weren't looking for contact. They weren't looking to end uh, a guy per se. Is is kind of like when you talk about the big round bellies. You want to you want to finish. You want to destroy yes. the opponent across from you. You want to make sure that they don't get to your quarterback or ball carrier. Just felt like when they had those opportunities, they didn't really deliver. I I was very disappointed that they didn't try to compensate for the fact that Garrett and Clowney were wreaking havoc all across the line. The adjustments just weren't there. They took, I think, two shots all game, which for what this team is, it it's what, three shots in the last two games? Like this team predicated last year was it was built on shots, play action, boot action, and getting Kirk in positions to make big plays down the field because he's a great deep ball thrower. And that we haven't seen that at all. We haven't seen any kind of help for the offensive line when it needs it. And for that's my biggest takeaway is it's it's a lack of confidence, lack of adjusting. And on the post game show yesterday, the final score, which you can catch at the starting at like the two minute warning of every Vikings game, and then in and then after the fact, we discussed the game as well. I blame 60% of the loss on the coaching staff for lack of adjustments and being able to put the team in position to take advantage of mistakes by the Browns and take a hold of the game. It was really frustrating. And Joseph, I see you saying, I can't wait to hear Ryan's Baker Mayfield take. Ryan is a very well-reasoned and intelligent analyst. He admitted Baker had a really bad game because he is, he is a smart man. There's really no other way you can paint that picture. How much of Baker Mayfield's bad game was caused by the Minnesota Vikings defense? A good bit of it was. There were so 
I think we exaggerate the amount of bad throws. Well, maybe not. Because he had, there were four of them that I remember specifically that were really bad. So there was the one of Hooper to the left was like a 15-yard throw. He just flat out missed it. There was the one to Odell where he hit the back. He hit Cam Dantzler in the back of the helmet. There was the other one to Odell. That one wasn't as bad because it was a long route, and Odell did take a good bit to run that route, and he just wasn't there when he let the ball go. And then there was the other one where he had the guy at the first down line, and he just didn't throw it, and he ended up taking a sack. I don't know what he was thinking about. But Baker definitely contributed. Outside of those four plays, the Vikings defense had a good day. Now, those four plays were pretty game-changing. If he hits on any of those four plays, it's probably 14-7 to a lot earlier than what it was. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Vikings defense had a solid game. It sucks that the only touchdown that they were even close to scoring came by penalty. That It sucks, but it's whatever. Mm -hmm. You held them to, what, 11 points for most of the second half? You did your job. Offense has to step up, man. I think it was, what, 10 drives? Because they were just putting it back and forth for, like, mm-hmm. the majority of the second half. Offense mm-hmm. had way too many drives to not second get anything going. Quarter. Just way too many drives. I think at some point, those guys, just they just lose confidence. When you go out there that many times and you just suck, it's like you, like, packing it in at that point. Well, it was just drive after drive. After, and there were a few drives where they got something going. There was like one where they got a catch to JJ, ended up not going anywhere. Another one where they had another nice throw, got called back for holding or something. I do think Clint tried to adjust, but there's only so much adjusting you can do when your front five is getting beat by four. You just can't do nothing about it. And then the receivers weren't winning as much. No, JJ was winning his matchup. Thielen wasn't doing as good as Thielen probably should be doing. KJ Osborne, a lot of tight coverage there. Kirk missed a throw. And I know everybody on Twitter has seen it. Kirk missed a throw. And he did he did such a good job throwing, like setting it up too. He looked off the safety. He got KJ Osborne wide open for a walk-in touchdown. This one. Pressure was in his head. Yeah, that one. He he has all the and the crazy part, the guy that Rashad Hill is blocking doesn't even get to Kirk. Rashad Hill actually resets that guy and gives Kirk all the time he needs. But he runs out of the pocket. He had time. Pressure was in his head at that point in time. He was feeling the pressure. He was thinking about it too much. He had K. That's a game-changing play. You hit that, and we might win that game. So, I mean, all around, just bad game for everybody. And if we're being honest, it's their first really bad. I mean, the Bengals game was really bad, but it was penalties. This is the first time where I'm seeing just a horrible lack of execution probably on all three units of the football team. And that's why a lot of people will say they feel like the the Vikings are going to go like 5-12 and 12 or like 7-12 and 12 or whatever the records are now. But the team is not that bad. We almost – the Cardinals look like the best team in the NFL right now. They went in there – they went to the Rams and beat the Rams. The Cardinals look like the best team in football. We beat them if we make a field goal. Then we beat – Russell Wilson, who looked like a Hall of Famer last week. This is – I don't want to say this is a good football team because sometimes they really, really don't play like it. But it's a good enough football team that in like five weeks they're going to be in position to disappoint us again when they're playing like the Ravens or the Chargers or somebody. Well, and you talk about Russell Wilson. You saw that he beat San Francisco yesterday. Or not San Francisco. Yeah, San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And it's just – and San Francisco yeah, is supposed to be a good team. 
Yeah, uh, San Francisco uh, had a really bad uh, muffed punt that gave C- the Seahawks the ball at the 11, and they scored really quick. That kind of turned the tide of the game, mm-hmm. and they just they got up 21-7, and they couldn't claw their way back. Trey Lance tried in the second half. It just wasn't meant to be. But a couple things that I've seen in the comments. Um, Raymond, we're going to talk about clock management here down the line in this show. I promise you that because that's – that's kind of, that's kind of a, an overarching theme of something we've been talking about the last few weeks as far as in-game coaching decisions from Mike Zimmer. But one thing I, I want to talk about that you also mentioned, Raymond, Baker was on the score would have been a lot worse. And Deshaun already hit on it a little bit earlier. He missed about four really big throws that would could have changed the tide of the game. And those throws could have easily made that game 28-7. If he hits two of them, it's 28-7. Like – it's realistic to, to think that the Vikings defense played really well, but part of it, and I said it yesterday on the final score was smoke and mirrors. They appeared a lot better because Baker was as bad as he was. Some of that's because of the Vikings and how they played defense. Some of that because Baker Mayfield played a really bad football. And I think you need to parse that to understand that some of it is because of us. Some of it's because of them. And if them being bad isn't a thing then you being as good as you are isn't either so it's having that understanding is really important to kind of project this team forward because this team this team's a one in three football team and it's it's really tough because we're in all honesty about we're two plays away from being three and one in theory yeah and in this game we're probably differential yeah, that we're makes plus two zero point sense. Yeah. <laughs> that makes um, no sense then, whatsoever. Hey, I've, I've seen teams that end up like uh, 11 and 5 with like a negative 20 point differential. I think the Vikings were pretty close to a negative point differential uh, in 2015, if I remember correctly. It, it was, it, they were positive, but it was close. Um, like, this team fails to capitalize when they're given opportunity to, and it starts at the top and shit rolls downhill. Like it's Especially it's Zimmer's fault against good but teams. It, yes, and we don't know what Cleveland's going to be yet. We don't know what Cincy is going to be. We don't know what Arizona or Seattle are going to be either. We think we know, but let's be honest, we don't because the Vikings have had multiple seasons where they've started five and zero and have missed the playoffs. Like you just don't know that. The more that film that's out there, you start to learn and you start to make adjustments. And that's kind of the next overarching thing. Adjustments. In-game management. Where is it? Where is it? I'll let you guys answer. Uh, I'm at, I, I might I have don't to know. fight you on that one because Zim's defensive uh, uh, adjustments this year has been fantastic. In every single game this year, defensive adjustments in the second half have been top-notch in every okay, game. Okay, okay. I will give you that. Defensive adjustments have been good. Where are they at offense? Uh, they're, yeah, they're, they're non-existent. You know, yeah, yeah, we don't got none of those. <laughs> yeah. I can get like two offensive touchdowns or something in the second half. It's awful. Yeah, Chad Grab posted something interesting. Dave, I'm going to send you uh, the tweet here in a second, okay. so then we can kind of show it for the people. Um, the first half and second half uh, offense has been night and day, and it's it's really bad. Um, let me, there it's, well, it's narrowed down to just Kirk Cousins efficiency. Um, but 
it's night and day. Like Kirk Cousins is like a top quarterback in the first half, and he's a bottom tier quarterback in the second half. It's it's uncanny. Like, why are we failing our quarterback, and why is he failing us? What are the answers here? It's it's a combination because I don't think you can completely blame Clint Kubiak and Mike Zimmer. I also don't think you can completely blame Kirk Cousins. There's a lot of blame to go around here, but it's we have a four game sample size of consistency where Kirk and the offense is really good in the first half and they're really not in the second half, two second half touchdowns. And both of them came against Cincinnati, both of them in a game that we were trailing by 14 and we desperately needed those scores. So how do we fix it? How do we empower Clint Kubiak to make those adjustments? How do we help him make those adjustments? And if we don't, I think, and every, we're, we've already been talking about it. Does Clint Kubiak get fired by Mike Zimmer to save Zimmer's job? Or is Zimmer the one that ends up going first? Hey, we could see Clint Kubiak get the blame like John Filippo did the three years ago. I don't think it's necessarily fair because he's a first-time play caller. But at the same time, it's it's a possibility. Yeah, I mean, we expected some struggles. I think Clint has been better than what we thought he would be. We expected some trou- troubles, and that might just be his, his trouble area is adjusting outside of his first 15, 30 plays or whatever. Um, I think what he needs to do is try to trust more in his players that are not Dalvin Cook. Because <laughs> um, what you see like in the second half, he doesn't uh, – outside of – the Seattle game when the wide receivers were kind of just running open the entire game. You kind of see there's not much trust there in Justin Jefferson. There's not much. I feel like Justin Jefferson should probably have like 10 to 15 plays a game where it's literally just the plays for him. Like that's something that should just be. So mm-hmm. I think what Clint needs to do is, you know, move away from Dalvin Cook a little bit and move towards maybe – Justin Jefferson and work more in chunk plays. We try so we've been doing this whole like five, ten yard thing for the first four games of the year, and it's not gonna it's not gonna consistently win games. We need way more chunk plays. And Kirk tried one the other the other day, and you can't blame him for it. I mean it was a rollout, he tossed it to Thielen in one on one coverage. You expect Thielen to win that, but he didn't, unfortunately. You can't really fault him for it, but I feel like it should have came That's a lot defense. earlier, and it did. I actually think it did. I think he did. He tossed one to Justin that only – he tossed two to Justin, actually. Then ended up being like 15 or 20 yards. I mean, it, I think this kind of thing that just gets better with time. I mean, it's Clint's first four games. He'll get better as the season goes on, as next year goes on, if he sticks around. So just kind of something that you'll keep your eye on as the season gets along, as guys get to midseason form, as guys get a little better, as KJ Osborne gets a little bit more comfortable – Maybe we'll see a difference. I don't think there's anything that they can necessarily do about it right now because I think it's more of like a feel kind of thing for Clint Kubiak and learning how to feel the game and on where to call things. Like I know the path, the offensive line was getting beat up really bad in the second half, but I felt like it was almost a perfect time to call a screen pass because they were super aggressive. Like all four of their offensive linemen were like mega aggressive to the point where they were absolutely tired. I mean, like Clowney had his hand on his knees. Miles Garrett was like on the turf. So, I mean, like throw a screen pass in there. You might get big yardage. We didn't really see that. 
we kind of just continued to let the Browns do what they wanted to do. And that's on Clint for not really adjusting well enough. As it goes on, he'll take into account things like this and he'll get better. You have to have your bad experiences in order to adjust and get good. So I think we should revisit again, maybe like week eight, week nine, if we're having the same issues, maybe adjust play colleague or maybe get some more input later in the game. But I don't think there's anything we can really do for it right now, except mm-hmm. just point out to Clint, like, hey, this was going on. We should have did this differently next time, you know. So here's my question for you about the screens, because I I remember seeing a few screens, and I'm wondering if maybe Clint made an adjustment and we didn't necessarily give him credit for it because screens weren't working. They were getting so far afield and getting immediate pressure, and then they were bailing out from that, and they were able to make plays on Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison. So how much of that is there? And then a follow-up question here that I want to discuss. If we knew Clint Kubiak was going to have these issues, he was going to have these games where he called absolute duds because he's a brand-new play caller, and Zimmer's job is on the line, why is he your offensive coordinator? Why are you setting yourself up in a position to have dud games from an offensive coordinator who's learning how to call plays? And learning how to make these adjustments in game, like it just it feels like unless you bring in a Gary Kubiak type player or type coach to be an an assistant to be like a consultant for your offense, like it just feels like you're putting a band aid on a on a leak in a dam. Like so, it's like if you run the risk of completely resetting your offensive system when you have so many pieces already established. And that's kind of the risk you run with not hiring Clint Kubiak. Well, they could have done it for sure. They could have reset the whole thing. It's a, uh, you're not going to hire a lot of guys in, from the outside nowadays that are going to want to come in and run this system. Mm-hmm. This is a system that's very catered to the Kubiaks and the Stefanskis of the world. So when you bring in that outside source, Things can clash. Things can butt head. You're basically you're bringing an outside source to learn your entire new system and try to offer suggestions. That's something that they could have done. They definitely could have done something like that. But I guess when you have like uh, Jenko there and you have um, and Cardell, it's probably the guys that you're looking at to give your input on the offense. And I think they were worried more about continuation because what that was like. Clinton's making what like eight offensive coordinators for. Zim seven eight something like that. So I think they uh, were yeah. So I think they were more worried. Yeah, that's a lot, like a lot, a lot. And I think they were more worried about some kind of continuation for Kirk Cousins rather than an entire new system. Now I did think that they should have, and I forget the guy's name. The guy that took over for the offensive line. I thought maybe they should have brought somebody else in there, but. Offensive line is going to have bad games. This is not an elite group by any means, especially not with Hill starting. This Browns game, unfortunately, was expected. I tweeted before the season even started that this game against the Browns, the offensive line was going to be an absolute train wreck and that Christian Darsaw was going to be starting against the Lions. That was the original prediction. It came true. There was really no reason for it not to come true. Um, you're going to have games like this from the offensive line. Unfortunately, you're kind of hoping that 
Kirk Cousins and your play caller could kind of mitigate that a little bit because we didn't need much. The defense came through how you wanted them to. When the offense was struggling, you had the defense hold them, and we needed like one play, and we just couldn't get that, unfortunately. Offensively-wise. Off- mm-hmm. Offensively, right. Right. Um. So, so you know, I mean, I the offensive line, had it was the reason we lost by far. Offensive line is awful. It's the reason we lost, but I'm not mad at them because they're a middle-of-the-pack unit. That's all we're expecting them to be, unfortunately. You're going to have games like this when you play defensive lines like that. Thankfully, the next several defensive lines aren't elites. I think I don't think we play an elite defensive line until like the Steelers or something like that. So they have a long time to bounce back and get better before they face TJ Watt and... Hopefully that doesn't happen again. I saw Sean Hill get tossed around a couple times, man. That was hard to watch. This man was getting thrown. It was bad. Now, you put a lot out there. But first, I want to acknowledge Snarlix says hi. Snarlix is one of the original guys that used to watch us every night. Snarlix, welcome back. Um, Double doink. Yes, defense came through. Jerome, Mary, everybody that's here, thank you for watching. Now, you talked about Rashad Hill being thrown around like a rag doll, and he was, and possibly Darisaw starting next week. Darisaw played one play, one, on special teams, and he was lined up at the guard position. And, of course, I saw the tweet, oh, no, don't stick him at guard. We'll see if he starts next week at left tackle. That's where he should start. Don't mess with him. Don't put him in a guard position. Don't screw with it. Rousher, stick him at left tackle. Leave him there. Now, I think he should start for sure because they just broke the news today that the Lions' best pass rusher is out for season. They don't, I think their second best pass rusher is his brother Julian, who's, I mean, he's just not Romeo. So I think you give him. Ill, <laughs> still Trey Flowers. <laughs> he, hey, he's he's still their their best pass rusher outside oh, of uh, the older Aquara. Trey Flowers, <laughs> but um, I think you send him out there, you get a relatively decent challenge for him, nothing too overwhelming, and you start to like bring him along. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, you start to bring him along, and then you have the Panthers and Brian Burns. But I think Brian Burns usually lines up on O'Neal's side, but I mean he can always flip. And then you, the Cowboys don't really have anybody. And then eventually we get to Joey Bosa, which is going to be like his first like, like welcome Final to the exam. NFL moment. Now, before you're talking about screens, I remember one to Adam Thielen about four yards behind the line of scrimmage that got tackled about three yards behind the line of scrimmage. <laughs> yes. The young Clint Kubiak, spawn of Kubiak, is learning on the fly. I don't think he's the issue, really. I, When a certain quarterback that we have is under pressure, he tends to suck. Uh, Phil Mackey puts this out almost weekly now. When he's under pressure, he tends to suck. It's just like when uh, Mike Zimmer plays a 500 or better team, he tends to suck. Um, and that's the case. Those are things that need to change to overcome this so that we can be on the positive side. Um, it's Those are known factors. 
All right, if they're known factors, they can be planned around. So plan around them, please. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, yeah, that many drives. I mean, you know you're going to have pressure. I mean, hey, it's it's hard. For getting pressured 16 times with just four rushers and with most of it coming in the second half, that's just that's hard to get around. It really is. And they did a few times get around it with a couple of games, but just not – Consistently enough. Hey, I wanted to show those. Tyler sent me those um, screens he was talking about mm-hmm. of first half Sandra. cousins and second half cousins. So right here is first half cousins. It's done by uh, who is it? Stat Cowboy. Um, yeah, uh, Ben Bald Ben Baldwin, uh, C- Computer Cowboy. Right, and uh, he does is. It's his website, like I think it's rbdsm.com, where yeah, rbsdm. So you can uh, kind of parse your own stats and set the parameters, and then it'll provide these charts as you see in front of you, which are great visuals. Um, There's the first half, right? And you can see Kirk Cousins up there, top middle right, right? He's Mm -hmm. doing he does great. Now, of course, that's the first half. Let's look at the second half. As soon as I get rid of this real quick. Boom. Here's the second half. Where do you see Kirk Cousins? He is down there at the bottom left. You can't tell me that's all coaching. It's not all coaching. It's not all offensive line. It is got to be a mental thing, in my opinion. That's that's Dave, mm-hmm. old football guy, Dave. That's got to yeah. be something in between the ears versus necessarily coaching and offensive line play. That, that, absolutely. This is this. Uh, these two graphs are the epitome of what Kirk Cousins is. Right. Mm-hmm. He's a really, really, really good quarterback who's incredibly inconsistent, and. Game in and game out, you can't expect him to play as well as he has, like, say, the Seattle game when he was lights out. You can't expect that every game because that's just not who he is. And there's no level, true level of consistency. And what we've seen in the first and second half of this season really parses that out. Like, that's uh, that's the biggest issue of Kirk Cousins. It's not that he's good. He's not always good. Right? Man, we were so, we were so ready for Kirk Tober, man. We, yeah, well, we got it in September, so now we get uh, September and October. I think that's how that works, unfortunately. Joseph, that was just this year, but I would suspect that if he ran it for his career, it would be real similar. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's let's keep the show moving because we still got to get to our players of the game here at the end. Uh, one thing that uh, we were talking about here pre-show that Deshaun mentioned up uh, mentioned uh, record over the next four games. The next four games are very interesting because they host the Lions on Sunday. They go to the Panthers. Then they have a bye. Then they play the Cowboys. And then the next game, I think it's not Green Bay. Is it San Francisco? No, I, I can't remember the, the fourth game. Is it the Ravens? Hold on. Yeah, I, no, it's not yeah, the Ravens. It's, yeah, it is the Ravens. We go Cowboys, Ravens, Chargers, and then okay. gotcha. Cowboys. So the next then four games, you're talking Wisconsin. Lions, Panthers, 
Cowboys, Ravens. Mm-hmm. Ah. So when you look at all those, you got two home, two away. The Lions and Cowboys are at home. The Ravens and Panthers are away. Deshaun, when you take a look at this, what is your best guess at what the, the record will, will be over the next four? Ooh, I want to say three and one. Yeah. I want to say three and one because why? Why do you think three and one? One, the Lions suck. We're just gonna get that one out of the way. Lions are awful. Uh, they uh, they they disguise their awfulness in scrappy, low-scoring games, but they are not a good football team. Don't let them fool you. The Panthers are slightly better, and Joe Brady has Sam Darnold playing very well. But the Cowboys just exposed them without J.C. Horn. That defense is not as great. Now, Kirk Cousins is not Dak Prescott, so we'll see what happens there. But I think if we lose to the Panthers, I think Zim's gone. I think regardless of what happens with the Lions, if we go against the Panthers and we lose that game, I think Zim gets fired because that gives you an entire bye week to get something together. Because, I, f- I mean, who do you have to take over? I mean – Maybe do you go Patterson or do you go probably Patterson, I would think, or maybe Jenko? I don't know. But I think if you lose to the Panthers, regardless of what happens with the Lions, I think Zim's gone. They get that bye week to recuperate, recuperate, and then you come back to the Cowboys. I think you lose this game. Dak Prescott is fantastic. The defense, Trayvon Diggs is a cheat code all of a sudden. Don't know what happened because yep. he wasn't that great last year, but all of a sudden he gets to pick in every game. That team has they're they're I don't know they're weird because like they're not supposed to be like great but they're great. Then you have uh, the Ravens. Even whether the Red I, game, Joseph. Yeah, sure. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have um, the Ravens. The Ravens team is Lamar Jackson and Lamar Jackson alone. Nobody else on that team is really doing much. Um, their defense is like keeping them in games enough. For Lamar to be great, but if Lamar like doesn't play perfect, they like don't play very well. And I think Zim is going to be good enough to where we should be able to take advantage of the defense, and then we should be able to contain Lamar enough to win a game. I mean, Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson are kind of similar. I think Murray's a better thrower of the football, and then Lamar Jackson's like a better runner. But they, the Ravens, don't have the same play caller. So I think we should be able to take advantage of that and actually win that game. So three and one, lost to the Cowboys. That puts us at four and four. Four and yes. four. Doable. Doable. And that sets us up for a heartbreak against who? The Chargers? Who's after that? The Chargers. Chargers, yes. The Chargers. Yep. We're gonna lose to Justin Herbert and Joey Bosa, and then we're gonna be back to hating this team again. Yeah, and then we'll beat the Packers. So uh, Oh yeah, we well, have to beat I, the Packers. Yeah. Oh, if if we do nothing but just if we finish like five and and what I don't even know how many wins it'd be five and twelve we finish five and yeah. twelve and we beat the Packers twice it's still a borderline successful season because right. you beat the Packers twice and I, I'm I'm a little lower than you Deshaun I think it's one and three or two and two and I think we probably beat the Lions which I'm not even convinced we beat the Lions because this feels like a game that the Vikings traditionally like to just go out and lay a dud you have a divisional opponent who is not very good who has a coach that's going to have these guys fired up to go bite some kneecaps and that even though they are uh winless dan campbell has this team fighting scratching and clawing and they are in games 
They should have beaten the Ravens. They were so close to a great comeback against the 49ers. They were in both games against the Packers and Bears before losing at the end. Um, I don't think we should take this game for granted, and if we do, that could easily be a loss. But I'm going to give that a win for the Minnesota Vikings. At the Panthers, Panthers have been playing some really good football this year. Sam Darnold looks like a new quarterback. That offense is clicking. The defense is full of young talent, and we almost lost to this team, which was a worse version last year. And if it weren't for Matt Rule making a bonehead coaching decision, kicking a field goal up three with like a minute and a half to go, we probably have that game as a loss last year. Then you have the Cowboys. I think Dak Prescott's just going to come in and torch us because Dak Prescott is a top five quarterback and he's incredible. I don't think we're going to be able to stop that offense. And that defense is steadily improving. Sean mentioned Trayvon Diggs. He always needed at least a year to kind of figure things out because he started out his career at Alabama as a receiver. And he's, he's, he's really figuring it out now. And he's becoming an alpha in that secondary room. Then the Ravens, it's a toss-up. It's a road game. You're going against an NFL MVP. Lamar Jackson is different from any other kind of mobile quarterback that Mike Zimmer has played against because this is a true runner at the quarterback position. Aaron Rodgers is not a runner. Russell Wilson is not a runner. This is a runner and a great one at that. And Lamar Jackson can absolutely beat you with his arm. So it's going to be a different beast for Mike Zimmer to face. I'm really interested to see how well he does. Because you can't just play contained against Lamar. You have to account for the read option. You have to account for quarterback sweeps, draws, and you have to account for him taking the top off of the defense with Hollywood Brown. And Rashad Bateman should be back for that game as well. He is off of IR. So that's a toss-up. Like You're looking at I, one and three or two and two. And this isn't me being negative. It's, it's just objective. Like This team has not shown that they can take that next step yet. I hope they do take that next step. I hope they go four and zero in this stretch. I just right now it just feels like this is a one and three or two and two stretch. And if they lose to both the Lions and the Panthers, Zimmer is out of a job. And maybe you just give it to Clint Kubiak. Say, hey, here's here's a eleven game sample size. If you do well and you show progress throughout the next eleven games, you this is your job interview. Should he get a job interview? Probably not. But what else do you have? You could give it to Andre Patterson. But, you know, with how slowly he's progressed up the ladder, with how good he is, I'm curious if he doesn't want it. If he doesn't want that kind of spotlight, I know that there are there are people in front offices and coaching staffs that don't want that spotlight. Maybe he's one of those people. Because to me, with how good he is, it's one of the only things that can make sense in my brain. Because he should be much higher than he is because of his skill level and what he's done with this team. But... I'm very interested to see what this Vikings team does. They have a lot to prove, both to me, to the fans, and to themselves, that they can really take that next step. And if they can't, boys, we're probably looking at cleaning house and starting mock draft Monday here in about three, four weeks. That wouldn't be too bad. It's hard because how do, you, how do you project this team right now? Are they good? Are they bad? Right now, they are too good to be bad. They are too bad to be good. We are purgatory. Yeah, yeah. This team sucks, man. Whatever. <laughs> and Zim, I can't. As, as it was discussed by Quang, Zin Zim has a hard time. He doesn't get angry anymore, and I think it's on purpose 
I think it's a change on purpose because he knows he's fighting for his job. And if he goes off on people, especially in the press, that's going to be taken negatively and it's not going to go well for him. So he's trying to keep things as positive. He's trying to change things up and say, you know, sweet things and wonderful things and caring things and blowing rainbows and, you know, flowers up players' butts to try to get them motivated. And he is correct in saying that he has a good team. And he's also correct in saying that they aren't making all the plays they should to be that good team, and they're not. And ultimately, that comes down on him. And if he doesn't go 2-2 two and two over the next four games, if he doesn't come out of the bye at 500, and I, I'm not saying the Lions will be a cakewalk. They've always given us a hard time, even though Zim has a great record against them. And I'm not saying... The Panthers will either because their defense is looking good and they're growing. If he doesn't come out 500, he's basically, whether he coaches or not the rest of the season, he's done at the end of the season. Put it that way. Um, and then he can sit back on his ranch and get paid for next year. <laughs> so, yeah. Or he can go off and be a defensive coordinator for a Super Bowl winning Green Bay Packers or somebody. Um, which is probably the worst nightmare of that could come true. It's it's frustrating, and I know the fans are frustrated. I'm frustrated. Deshaun's frustrated. Deshaun's more optimistic, but we're all frustrated. <laughs> Tyler's frustrated. It's just rough. Mm-hmm. But this team could be better. Zimmer's been better. So, will they pull it together? That's yet to be seen. That's what the bourbon's for, people. <laughs> yes, it is. And uh, let's uh, let's talk about the last topic before we go player of the day. Um, talking about uh, if Mike Zimmer will be the head coach after this season. We've already talked about him being fired early. But I want to kind of frame the question in a different light because we have talked about him pretty much being gone. What would it take for Mike you to keep Mike Zimmer as the head coach after this season? Now, uh, we ta- I heard Raymond in the comments talk about the fact that the uh, like the the clock management has been bad, and I talked about it last week. Mm-hmm. Zimmer is a great defensive coordinator and a bad head coach because of his in-game decision making, clock management, uh, having a guy like Amir Abdullah who is a veteran. Why are you not talking to these guys and reminding them, hey, don't go out of bounds. We're trying to run clock. That costs you three points. And stuff like that is just consistent. The utilization of timeouts, the not understanding game situations. There's a lot of talk today on Twitter that Kirk Cousins shouldn't have thrown that check down. And they she should have gone for the touchdown. You know, you can argue both ways. You want to, hey, use that to set up a throw to the end zone. But at the same time, Take your throw to the end zone, and if it only takes seven seconds, you have another shot. Like that five, seven yards probably doesn't do a whole lot. And if you get a penalty, it's usually in your favor at that point, and Mm -hmm. you're down, you've got the ball on the one. Now, Zimmer backed up Kirk Cousins and Clint Kubiak and said, well, we're trying to get closer. 
Was he doing Why? that because he was Zenzim? Or was he doing that because he didn't believe that, you know, a shot from the 35 instead of the 32, um, or the shot from the 32 instead of the 35 or whatever it was, was a better chance of making it, taking one shot versus two ups the percentage. Which do you believe? Do we get two shots? I don't know if we, we even two get shots. two shots if we try it. I know we had well, eight seconds, but you got you to think about it. You're not just going to drop back and throw that ball. Kirk is going to have to move. I don't know if we get two shots. I mean, you get two it's shots like, it's like, eight seconds. It's like, it's like mm-hmm. right on the edge because, I mean, you can't like – I don't know. I mean, I – Okay, I so that's a fair point, but at the same time, if it's borderline that you might have two shots, why don't you just take the first shot? And if you, if you get another shot, great, but you should take the shot. Because if you do the check down, then all you have is one. And you may have an opportunity yeah. for two. Like, I, I just wish that this team was more aggressive as a whole. And I think this is a is a big portion of that. Like, oh, we were just trying to get it in closing position. What difference is it going to be going from the 32 to the 25? You're just going to have less field to work with. Like, you're not, you're, we're not talking about, like, a, an extra 10 or 20% chance of that play being successful. Like, I just wish that there was a little more aggressiveness to get that ball in the end zone and take a shot and let your great players make a great play. Mm-hmm. They might have been thinking maybe you could run a different play other than a Hail Mary. I don't know. I don't know what they were thinking. I mean, that's eh. – Well, you could I don't think it makes, I don't think it makes a huge difference either way. But you had to send your receivers deep. But you could – Right. You, I don't know. They don't all have to be to one side. You could run – Right. You had the, the little, whole field. Like, yeah, little yeah, little Hail Mary crosser, maybe. Maybe that's what they're trying to do. I don't know. I don't know. Whatever they did didn't work and it looked ugly. And <laughs> I think yeah, I think bad. because of how it's it right looked bad. is why we're so upset about it. If yeah. Kirk Cousins throws the ball up to Justin Jefferson and it gets picked off and Justin Jefferson has a shot to go get it, I don't think we're that upset about it because he gave his, his receiver a chance to make a play in the end zone. I think it was how it went down that has us as frustrated as we are as a fan base because it felt like, oh, we're just going to check down, and then the ball barely reached Adam Thielen's feet. It, it didn't feel like that our guys were given an opportunity to try and make a play. Tyler, you had asked how far does Zim have to go for not being fired? Our yes. Emmer 33 says Super Bowl is gone. I disagree. I think it's going to be championship he has to get to the NFC Championship, in my opinion, or they're going to say they've had enough. I mean, mm-hmm. Rick Spielman, we've also talked about him going. Rick Spielman's been here with the team since 2006. Um, now, granted, he wasn't, he was part of the triangle triumvirate of, you know, Tri- the, the triangle of authority. Um, but, and Zim's been here since 14. Out of that time that Spielman's been here, we've been to two NFC championships. One with Brett Favre going YOLO, going Brett Favre. The other one with um, Case Keenum going YOLO on everybody and trusting their receivers. And every time we get bad, we go away from that quarterback, you know, trusting his receivers mode. And it's... It makes you go, hmm. 
least it does me. Mm-hmm. But it's, I say for him to stay head coach, one, he's got to be 500 at the bye. Two, we need to go to the championship game or beyond. Other than that, I can expect Mike Zimmer to be sitting on his ranch with his hot girlfriend, drinking wine and having a good time and shooting deer on occasion. That's what there I you do. go. Deshaun, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, uh, I don't see Zim sticking around at all. Like, like you said, championship or or bust, really. I think even if we do do the whole sneak into the playoffs and win one game, I think he's still gone. Someone someone from like, I can't remember if it was like the Athletic or the Pioneer Press or something. Someone wrote something about them thinking about getting rid of Zim the year we lost to the 49ers in the playoffs. But then they yep. didn't. And then they ended up like checked. extending Kirk Cousins. It just all been kind of downhill from there. So I, I think I think it was Courtney Cronin, ESPN. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So and that I was think close, I think because they wanted Stefanski, they were going to make Stefanski, and from what I've heard as well, if he didn't beat, he ended up beating New Orleans, which is always wonderful. It's just as almost as good as beating the Packers. Um, he beat them and then got spanked in the next game. So, yeah. So I mean, the the hard thing is, even if you like change coaches, a lot of the issues kind of don't really change. There's a lot of issues with this team, and then when you let go of them, you're also adding new issues. So it's just it's a lot for some new guy to take on because I really don't see them going with anybody on the roster. Because you fire them, the immediate thought is to bring in somebody who can develop Kellen Mond. Because they're not going to want to go out and get a new guy with a first-round pick. Because you have mm-hmm. an entire defense that you're basically going to have to rebuild from scratch. You have Hunter Kendricks, and like that's it. Barr's probably gone. Harrison Smith is getting old. You have one cornerback. So you need to rebuild your entire defense. You're not going to have that first-round pick to go get a quarterback. So now you're looking at guys like Joe Brady, maybe Kellen Moore from Dallas. And then you have Eric Bieniemy. You Ryan just your Gable. defense, yeah, yeah, and then the guy, yeah, guy from Buffalo. Your defense is gonna fall, fall through the cracks like bad. You get rid of Zim, defense is gonna be horrible, and now you're kind of looking at this offensive football team with a whole bunch of new issues. So it's a weird balancing that they got to try to find. They're really bad at finding balance on this football team. Hopefully, if Zim does go, they can find something because you don't need. Yeah, right. You do need a better quarterback for sure because you. You get a quarterback who can help mitigate some of those issues, and Kirk Cousins just can't at this point. Mm-hmm. So hopefully they find somebody who, where you don't need to have an elite defense, just kind of like that middle-of-the-pack defense that gets stops here and there. Uh, we'll see what happens. I think, thankfully, if there was a year to do it, and I tweeted this out, if there was a year to start over, it's right now because the offense is set to compete for the next two or three years. You have an offensive line that's probably only going to improve from here on out. You have Kellen Bunn waiting in the wing, and you have Dalvin Cook, Adam Thielen is still young. You just found K.J. Osborne. You got Justin Jefferson, and you might have ISM. You have Irv Smith coming back. You have something to offer somebody who is offensive-minded. So I think really no matter how good Zim does, if we're being honest, this team is not making it to the NFC Championship. We just don't play consistent enough to make it that far. I think you let go of Zim, 
just because you now have this group of players that can be enticing. I mean, every everybody in the league loves Justin Jefferson. Aaron Smith has massive potential. You get a young mobile quarterback that you can mold into your own. You really can't ask for too much more as a coach starting out. You really get a group of good guys, and then you get your own guy at quarterback. And then if we need, we have resources to go after a quarterback because it seems like this season, this offseason, they're going to be like – there's like Carroll. There's Matt Carroll who's making some noise. There's Malik Willis, and then there's like maybe – one or two other guys, it seems like you might be able to get a quarterback at like eight or nine, maybe. So they have the resources to get there if need be. So you have this offense and this team is a land of opportunity now, and you don't want to squander that by just taking another shot with Mike Zimmer. You kind of risk, uh, you risk blowing away that opportunity for a quick turnaround with a more offensive minded team. Yeah. Um, I'll answer Joseph's uh, question here before I kind of go into my thoughts on Zimmer. Uh, Malik Willis will look fantastic in purple. Give me all the raw tools. Give me the physical running ability. He is the closest thing we've seen to Lamar Jackson, and he may be the closest thing we see to Lamar Jackson coming out in quite some time. He's he's a much more physical runner than Lamar, but he's got all-world arm talent, and he, he needs time. And I think he can have the opportunity to learn on the fly in an offense like this with a offensive-minded head coach. I think Brian Dayball would be perfect for him, but that's just me pipe-dreaming. Um, Deshaun also mentioned Matt Corral. He's going to be a must-watch for got people who want to start uh, the skull search for a new quarterback. Also, Carson Strong out of Nevada. He is a pure pocket passer, but he has every tool in the book that you'd want, and he he's mobile enough to move and create out of structure. Um, I think the only way Zimmer stays is two things happen. One, he has to win the division. And two, he has to show growth. He has to show growth as a head coach, making those in-game decisions, that being smarter with clock management. And until he does those things, there I don't think there's any way that Mike Zimmer returns as the head coach. Um, I don't necessarily think it's a benchmark if you have to make it to the NFC Championship game. Um, obviously, that's a great benchmark. Like, hey, this, this is our expectation basically for the last three years to be a Super Bowl contender. We haven't done that. But if he shows actual growth as a head coach in those in-game management elements and we turn the season around and win the division, I think that would be enough for the Wolves to give him another year. Well, he's got another year on his contract. It's He's got two. Two? Okay. He signed a three-year extension <laughs> last year. Seems like a long time. Yeah. Oh. And it's like $10, $12 million per, fully guaranteed. So if he gets fired, he gets like $24 million bucks. Yep. Good for him. Same as right. Spielman. We're going to have to eat that yeah. whole contract. I know. <laughs> yeah, he'll do that while Jameson eats W's. <laughs> All right. Let, let's, Before yes, we go not to yesterday, our players. The Giants. Um, real yep. fat it was who's that dude said uh, trade for Wilson if his legal issues or once his legal issues get settled. That is a feasible answer. If those mm-hmm. legal issues do get settled in a an acceptable manner, yes, trade for Watson because he is one of the best uh, quarterbacks. In the, the only yeah. issue is he has that no trade clause that he can that he can drop of his own volition. So I think mm-hmm. uh, with the QB issues that are going in, 
Miami. I, to him to Miami just kind of seems like a done deal already. As soon as that legal issue is, is over, I feel like the, the move to Miami is like going to happen quick. With Tua being injured, Jacoby Brissett not being great, Tua also not being great, I think watching the Miami just seems kind of kind of yeah. done almost already. Plus, I don't see this team trading for Deshaun Watson unless he's exonerated. Not that his legal issues clear up, but that he's exonerated and didn't do any of these things. They set a precedent with Jeff Gladney. I don't think they're going to waver from that. Well, so I is... think that's that's what's taken so long with the Watson case is instead mm-hmm. of um, – I read this somewhere. The opposing guy – oof, I don't know these terms. He offered an NDA. Watson refused – he hired his own team to go after the people, and that's what's taking so long. If he had just signed the NDA, it probably would have been dropped by now. But he would have been—he wouldn't have been guilty, nor like, or not not guilty. So he's going through that process of exoneration, and I mean, it's costing him a full football season. We don't know if he actually did it or not, but I'll tell you one thing, man: a fan of the team—that's going to be an uncomfortable feeling. I can't imagine. That's going to yeah. Twitter is going to be a weird space when someone has to ch- cheer for Deshaun Watson. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joseph brought up got about rent a cheesehead year with Farb. It's actually two, yep. but yes, there's the possibility of doing that again because we know Aaron Rodgers gets out of his contract after this season as well. No, he won't be a free agent. He'll be tradable. tradable. Yeah. That's that's going to be the difference. Uh, all right, we are approaching an hour. Let's uh, do our players of the week. Deshauna, why don't you start? Uh, I'm going to give some love to Justin Jefferson. I feel like uh, we haven't had him as a player of the week yet. He did great. 20-yard catches on three starting cornerbacks. He's, uh, I saw a, Pete from, a tweet from PFF saying he's reaching Devontae Adams' levels of unstoppable. I like that tweet. I usually don't like PFF's tweet. That was a good tweet. <laughs> I like JJ. He's a great wide receiver. He continues to prove that he's a great wide receiver. I think he needs like 15 targets a game. Good. I'm going to give my player of the week to Daniil Hunter. Uh, was There wasn't a whole lot of flash, but Daniil was playing solid football. He was getting to the quarterback. He had a couple plays where Baker Mayfield was on the move where he just had him stopped in his tracks including that third down where I was just ripping Mayfield for not throwing it to Demetric Felton. He just stood him up in his tracks took him down, and he played really sound football. And in a game where there wasn't a whole lot of great play from the Minnesota Vikings, his solid play and just uh, maintaining gap control was awesome, and he's going to get my player of the week. To me, it's off the bench. Cameron Dantzler comes in and shines, and if he's not starting next week, uh, there's something wrong. I did notice today at Zim's press conference, I think it may have been Courtney was asking about uh, Brashad Breland, and Zim instantly talked about Cameron Dantzler. Hmm. Cameron Dantzler is the man for me. He came in off the bench, did well. He should start. I do believe the quarantine time for COVID is only five days, so he should be good to go. Should be. Yes. We'll see. I think you have to be like five days and then symptomless for like 24 hours or something. So mm-hmm. we'll see. He might be, he That's might be true. good to go. Um, it'd be a good game. He tested positive. Right. Yes. 
it would be a really good day, really good game for him to like dominate, to come back and like bring some of that stuff that he was doing last year back. The Lions don't have a great receiving core. I couldn't even name their number one wide receiver. I think it's like Quint Quintus Cephas, maybe. Ah, uh, yeah. Maybe it's DeAndre. Couldn't tell you. <laughs> so, um, good. good, good, good. It's a good day for to be a Vikings corner. Get some some a good a good right a get right game for the whole defense. Hopefully, uh, mm-hmm. Jared Goff is not great. Hopefully, they can come in and just dominate like completely is what I'm hoping for. But we'll see. We don't get many of those no more. Yeah, absolutely. With that, that is our show tonight. Make sure you tune in all throughout the week for all the great content that we have. Dave, what do we have coming up? For the great fans. Well, tomorrow night we have In the Huddle with your favorite CTP personalities. Um, I'm waiting on them to get me an agenda is what we're going to talk about. I'm sure it's more of sort of the same stuff. And we start looking forward to the game against the Kittens on Sunday. Then come Wednesday, we have Vikings Happy Hour, which is will always be like today turning your Monday purple should be a more optimistic and we're all about what we're drinking as well. Thursday, we'll have Eric from Daily Norseman and the great Flip Mozzie back from here. He'll tell us probably a little bit about how he went to the Rams game and that should be interesting. I want to hear about SoFi Stadium because hopefully we'll be there in February. Anyways, then it's back to two old bloggers on Saturday for your pregame show. So that's what we got this week. That's beautiful. From Dave and Deshaun, I am Tyler. Thank you for joining us. And make sure you... Thanks for watching. Like, subscribe, and ring the bell. And if you're listening on your favorite aggregator, make sure you rate us. And always feel free to join the conversation here at Climbing the Pipe.